Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. What an absolutely fascinating conversation with a genuinely interesting guy. Oh, uh, really? I mean, one, he's a very nice guy, but two, fascinating, you know, with the... Uh, NLP, those of you, uh, listen to that. Neuroscience, considering based on the course that we just did, yep. there is such an appetite for people to understand what goes on in people's minds. Yeah, yeah, and distilling it down into small bite-sized chunks of how it works. But also the piece, the piece at the end, and you'll need to listen to the episode to get to this, but there's a piece at the end with one really simple tactic of how to de-stress yeah. your body and yeah. feel better. A really simple thing you can do. And I think as a headline for anybody to be able to utilise the the techniques that, that Barry just touched upon to then quadruple his mm. business turnover and with less people. Yeah. You know, that that if if that's a nugget that people want to listen to, mm. then listen away. Absolutely. And if you like this episode, we'd be so grateful if you would subscribe. That would be absolutely amazing. And if you could share this episode with somebody who would take value from it, that would be absolutely brilliant too. We hope yeah, you enjoy. Thank you very much. It's podcast recording day. It is podcast recording day and it's a good one. It is, it is, it is. And, and they keep coming, don't they? And it never ceases to amaze me how many interesting smart people uh in dentistry it's stunning really we think we've done i don't know how many now definitely over 100 and we've never had a duff guest no well that's the pressure <laughs> on the guy that we're talking to today doesn't it there's no pressure there yeah but so. barry, barry i understand thrives on pressure <laughs> well perhaps in the next 45 <coughs> minutes or so we're going to find out so today we are um we're very fortunate we have uh, dr barry orton joining us and barry is a dentist he is. Principal of the Confident Dentist Academy, a dental coaching See, business. See, he'd be fine. Speaker, mentor, and communication and patient journey expert. Flip, that's a business card, isn't I, it? I, I, oh, I, yeah. I just think communication and patient journey is, is, is that's kind of the beating heart of life and business. Oh, that, that you nail heart. that, but isn't it? You mm -hmm. nail that, and so much falls into place. Anyway, welcome, Barry. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, chaps. Nice to, nice to be with you. Uh, yeah, thank, you. Likewise, thank you. Likewise, yeah. likewise. And, and if you're listening to this on audio, you will not get the benefit of the beautiful artwork that sits behind Barry. So I urge <laughs> you to jump on YouTube and look at it because it's a fantastic yeah, definitely, piece of definitely. art. Definitely, it's quite cool, actually. It's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> um, how are you? Are you doing well? I'm really well, really well. Um, I've, uh, I, I've uh, just recently moved into the house, so we're, we're settling in. Brilliant. Good. Good. Good to be settled. Be before we get to dentistry, and there's a lot to pick through because uh, you've done a lot of stuff in your in your years in dentistry. In your young years in dentistry. Just yeah. I'll throw that in there. Make you feel good. We Thanks need to we need to roll back the years, and then we need to kind of understand a bit more about you and who you are. So, is there a time you can look back on your childhood and say that this is why I am the person I am today? What was your childhood like? Oh wow! What a great question. My childhood was wonderful. Um, yeah, really good. Very, very close family. Mum and dad. My dad was born in Liverpool and uh, always wanted more for us than he had. He had, a, he, had a tough, he had a tough time, really, my dad. And he wanted more for us. And um, he was part-time 
psychologist. He, he, he liked to, to read into stuff. And so he, he liked Skinner and his rats and he, you know, Pavlov. And, uh-huh. his and so uh, okay, he, right. he employed a few of those things. And I was groomed uh, nicely by my dad that I was going to be either uh, a doctor, a dentist, a vet, a lawyer, uh, or I could have been an airline pilot. So my my choices were limited when I was young. Pretty broad choice. And I, <laughs> and I didn't realize it. Um, but yeah, I was steered down the medical route um, by my dad and the way that he was nurturing me. And I actually ended up wanting to be a dentist primarily because it's funny, right? When you, people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? My weird answer was, I want to be a dad. And so... Uh, I chose dentistry because I knew that it would afford me a better quality of uh, life, work and balance. Because mm. we had a few friends who were doctors and they were getting divorced and it was stressful. Not that dentistry isn't, but it has mm. allowed me to to pick my hours, pick my time. It's been, it's an amazing profession. So yeah, it was when I was young, I guess I was heading down this route regardless. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. And I think quite often when you're within a profession uh, or your business, whatever you're doing, it's very easy to get very narrow and not appreciate some of those kind of real wide contexts of what dentistry offers. And I think it does offer a huge amount of flexibility. And I was, I was talking to a dentist at the weekend and she was kind of running and arguing about, you know, what her future is and uh, where she's ultimately going to end up working. And I said, but the skill is resident in you. Yeah. You can travel all over the world and that skill travels with you. And okay, mm. you need an environment to work in, but not many people have that freedom um, to move around to the extent that, that dentists do. So it is, it's a, it's a phenomenal career. It, it is the best. I'm very proud to be part of it. And I guess in many respects, that's why I want to help improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a lot of stress out there and I think there's ways and of learning how to, cope how to deal with situations and also how to run a business better because most of the people including myself right i became an accidental business owner Mm. i didn't get dentistry to be a businessman um i always knew that i wanted my practice but no one ever we weren't taught what a p and l is we weren't Mm. taught (laughs) you know business operations business systems i learned that on the job as most dentists do although many dentists don't learn it very well no and, no. and struggle but no. um it and is they're still uh, not taught are they That's no. the... it's shockingly bad they're not even taught how to communicate with people no. really i mean five years in leeds and i think a recent attendee of one of my courses said that they had three hours of communication training mm. it's mad isn't it it's ridiculous when you've when you really think about i mean I've got a few phrases that I like to use. It's really hard to F it up in dentistry mm. because <laughs> it is, most it dentists is. are earning an income. Maybe not a great income, but most are, are earning an income. So it's hard to get it wrong. Mm. Um, and that puts people in a position where they tend to be focusing on improving their dentistry rather than improving the patient journey or their communication. Mm. Mm. And I think ultimately so long as your dentistry is good enough, right? So if you said your dentistry has got to be seven out of 10 to be good enough, yeah. patients don't care. What they don't know. Right? No. They care about how you look after them and what the patient journey's like. And, mm. you know, do they get the love and the attention that, that they would like to have? Mm. 
Whereas most dentists, understandably, are wanting to try and get their dentistry to 10 out of 10, but mm. often, often at the cost of not developing the relationships with their patients or their team. Well, it's CPD. CPD should be called clinical professional development. It's not continuing professional development because if you put two courses in front of a dentist, they would always choose the clinical course over the non-clinical. And yeah. that was kind of ingrained at dental school, wasn't it? Because it was, it was clinical and there was, there was nothing beyond that. Yet, as you say, the people that, that tend to do well, and I think genuinely are happier because it's less stressful if you understand people mm, yeah. and you understand how to communicate. It's a less stressful environment because just being a good dentist isn't really enough. You, you need more than that. And it becomes so much more enjoyable if you start to to master some of those. What was your what was your dental school experience like in in Leeds? Oh, it was fantastic. It was hard work. We were actually we were reflecting on this the other day because a lot of these later new dentists are coming out with not a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And I happened to bump into a guy I was at uni with uh, again um, on Friday and Saturday. And we were chatting about the fact that we had huge targets. We had we had to do like 200 composites. I think we had to do like 50 endos, just loads. And these these new guys are coming out with very, very little experience. No molar endos, no surgicals, um, very few crowns, like two crowns, something like that. And so our uni was, it was a great experience. We were the last year that did, we did four years and one term. Right. And that's how it was. So we actually graduated in December of 93. And then our year was the first year, I think it was the first year that VT was compulsory. So I went into VT, but Leeds is such a wonderful city. It was a brilliant place. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I did a lot of growing up (laughs) when I was there, really. Uh, I probably still am, but yeah, it was brilliant. (laughs) Great tutors, great, great teachers lots of people that i was inspired by and just a really good community it's quite a small uh, our year was like 32 30 36 people something like nice. that and great night knife yeah outstanding yeah. such fun <laughs> such fun but, what, but what's changed barry what's changed in the time when you were at dental school and you were doing mm, two so, yeah, yeah, right. so many extractions so many molar endos da, da, da. and yet we're now getting dentists coming out of dental school who've got so little practical clinical experience where's all the time going because the program's broadly the same amount of time well it's five years now so it's actually slightly longer yeah so my honest answer is i don't know i've never really looked into it but what i do know is that at leeds when i was there we had nurses uh, we had support staff we were working on clinic all the time i mean we were yeah it was five days a week we'd be on clinic and we'd we'd have the odd lecture into space. And when I chat to younger dentists, they nurse for each other. And so straight away, uh, okay. that, that's halving their clinical experience. Yeah. There's half more watching time. than doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't think uh, maybe there's not the patients. We were inundated with patients wanting to be treated mm. by the students. And so, yeah, I just think that unfortunately they're coming out with not a lot of experience. And so vocational training is really, they really are learning on the job. Mm. It's not that they're honing their skills. It's that they're, they're kind of learning their skills. Mm. Mm. Um, but I, I don't, 
I'm not involved with unis for me to understand what the challenges are because clearly no university wants to send somebody out no isn't mm. experienced so there's clearly something that that isn't isn't working for them quite connecting mm. it's an interesting one isn't it because we were talking to one they were sort of saying um, they wonder whether the in a way when the dental training was maybe developed it was all predominantly focused around the nhs and therefore to a certain degree the nhs maybe some people don't need necessarily going back to the communication skills and they were saying in a way it sort of needs to almost catch up with the fact of mm. dentistry is about dentistry and communication not just generating revenue from the nhs because now there's more revenue generated from the private but it's an interesting one isn't it as i say we hear people say well i've got some guy he's never done an extraction on a molar <laughs> and mm. it's like oh. yeah not sure I'd want to be that patient, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have to learn somewhere, don't we? Yeah, someone has yeah. to learn. Yeah, yeah. But um, oh, so, so what was your what and what was your journey? So you obviously you, you qualified from from Leeds. You worked as an associate, and then you got into practice ownership. What what was that pathway through to the point when you decided you wanted mm. to buy? Because you said, and, and I think you're right. You're you're absolutely spot on about being an accidental business owner. We see so many people who are associates and then either they think it's going to be a route to earning more money or more control or more status or whatever it might be, they then go and buy a business, which for many they're poorly equipped to do. But what, what was your own journey to get to that point when you bought a practice? So um, as a VT, I, so I qualified in Leeds and I went back to where I was born and bred, which is on the Wirral. And I did my VT and I had an interest then that you had to do a, you had to do a project um, as part of your VT. And so I did a project, which was writing a business plan for starting a, for starting a practice. And they gave regional and, and a national award. And I won both of those with this business plan. So I think I already knew that I wanted to own a business. Mm. And so then what I did for five years is I, I worked, I never worked full-time anywhere. I worked part-time in a load of practices so that I could find out what I wanted to do mm. and find out the sort of practice that I wanted. Yep. Um, I ended up meeting my wife. I was an aerobics instructor, right? And so... Oh, excellent. Yeah, so I was, I was working... <coughs> leg warmer me up. I'd get leg warmers all the way, mate. Well, and you know, uh, sort of the Mr. Motivator of the Wirral. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. So, <laughs> I, I actually worked with him, Derek. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. God, I've just yeah. had a vision of so, Barry so, in that. So for, for, What's that video of Take On Me or yeah. something? I've just had a vision of you, Barry. For people of a certain age, we'd have just lost a lot of our audience. So Mr. Motivator, he was on Breakfast TV. He'd <laughs> pop up with this, this lycra leotard on, very brightly coloured. Yeah. green? And he'd do a five or seven minute workout in the morning to get everybody and kind and of never pumped before they started. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with him. <laughs> But he, uh, yeah, very, a very jolly chap. So, yeah, I met my, my, this is my first wife, right? So I met my first wife and I'd always said I wanted to be down in London and do a few years. And she said, you need to go. So I came down to actually worked in Epsom and Guildford. And, and then I, I got mentored. I was really lucky. I met a, a guy that was beginning to think about having a corporate and this is in the day where there were like, I don't know, 
15 limited companies before oh, they made there it. Go, the good old days. So they were swapping for mega, mega money. Huge yeah, money. It was huge money. You're only allowed to do really, it in that structure through a royal charter or something, weren't it's you? It's crazy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So he mentored me, really, and taught me how to be a private dentist um, in terms of how to look after patients and have conversations and, and to map things out. And it was that was a really good time for me um and he happened to be buying a practice to be part of his corporate in hazelmere but he found out that the limited company name that he was purchasing had been trading illegally or something which meant he couldn't buy it which meant he had to back out of the practice in hazelmere um and i know this man is very clever and is a proper businessman and had done his due diligence and so I contacted, he basically put me in contact with the owner and I paid him a deposit without even seeing it. So I knew, wow. I knew that I would, uh, I would, I would want it. So I, that's basically how I ended up with my first practice. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, what did that practice look like? What sort of shape and size was it? What sort of dentistry was it delivering? So it was a long-standing, 70-year-old NHS practice with no motorized chairs. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, old <laughs> dentist. When was this, Barry? When did you buy this practice? 1999. Right. Yeah. September. Who, who was the mentor? Who was the mentor, chap? Uh, so, uh, so he's, um, <laughs> he's now, he's really well known in corporate, in, in the corporate world. I probably won't drop his name. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but he was, he was really good for me. Um, and he also helped me understand the business more as well, mm. right. um, which may meant that I was running it properly. Mm. Um, so I became a VT trainer for five years, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, and I then exited the NHS because I knew that I couldn't deliver what I wanted to deliver within the confines of the NHS. So I've been fully private now for... Uh, probably 15 years, something like that. But I started off straight away, before I even bought the practice, I started off with a business coach. And then, so I was one of Chris Barrow's first ever clients. Oh, wow, very fun. His company was called Marlborough Finance. Um, And so, you know, I I knew that I needed to learn about business. Um, I was the second dentist to ever do a sales training course. And that was four of us in a room in Manchester, Ash Latter, me, a guy called Neil Sampson, and a web developer called Guy Levine. And literally, oh. we spent two days in that room, and Ash shared with us Dale Carnegie's sales mm. process, which was an eye-opener, because we'd not been taught to have conversations with patients either. So that was kind of started my journey along wanting to learn more. So I've had so many coaches. I'm a bit of a coach junkie. Mm. Um, and most of the stuff that I've learned and implemented that has made the biggest difference has come from my coaches in America. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And so what why I know... That, why do you think that is? What's different about their perspective? Certainly at the time, they were at least five years ahead of us mm. in, every, in every way, in my opinion, in dentistry. Um, I wanted to learn my cosmetic dentistry, so I 
joined up with a guy called Larry Rosenthal. Yeah. New York. <laughs> Athletic advantage. I became a, a junior kind of um, trainer for him. And then I became a senior instructor for him. So I then taught, I actually taught the clinical director of the guys I sold to, Smile mm-hmm. Design. Um, so I taught here, West Palm Beach. Um, and we also went to Indianapolis. And so I then had exposure to coaches there. So Bill Blatchford, Kathy Jamison, um, and then periodontal coaches as well. And I took elements, I learned lots from all of them. Mm. And I took elements from each of them and put together what I was doing. Um, Then, so it was working really well, but I then found out that my wife had been having a two year affair with a mate of mine. And mm. I kind of lost the edge. I lost, I lost the plot really. Um, and I had a really difficult couple of, couple of years, but then realized that um, I had two daughters and um, they were really badly affected. So I decided I needed to sort myself out. So I then went on my personal development journey. So right. I walked on hot coals three times with Tony Robbins, did UPW. Yeah. Some things in that blew my mind about how we process information. So I found out he was using something called neuro-linguistic programming. So I thought, right, I'm going to learn more about that. So I became a practitioner in that, then a master practitioner. And then I became master hypnotherapist. And then I met my now wife, Chloe. We met in Hamburg. And she was the second TCO in the country. She was working for a friend of mine called Elaine Halley. You probably oh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Cherry Bank? Um, Cherry Bank, yeah, yeah. Cherry Bank, yeah. And so I, I knew the day I met her that I was going to marry her, which is weird, but I did. Uh-huh. And she came down. Did she feel the same? No. Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> was she naked? No, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, she, she came down and she uh, trained in NLP and came into the practice as my TCO and just nailed it. And so we we decided there and then that we wanted to make our patient journey like the best in the UK. So I got, this is Hazel Mist here, or is this Hazel something? Me, yeah. yeah. So I got I kind of got rid of the associates and I went on my own. And Chloe and I absolutely nailed our patient journey. We wow. took we quadrupled our turnover. So when's this? Is this early two thousands, Barry? Or so where are we now? Uh, this is so well, we've late been married ten years now. So this is fifteen years ago. Hmm. Oh, wow. So back end of 2000s. Yeah. yeah. We quadrupled turnover. Um, I was working three and a half days a week, me and a hygienist. <laughs> With no associates, your profit was looking very good. <laughs> uh, our turnover was just under 1.1 mil. Wow. And um, you three and a half days a week and a hygienist. Yeah. Our systems, yeah. Are, our systems are awesome. And so no implants, no ortho, routine. I was going to say what type of dentistry were you doing? Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm a good general dentist. Um, and so, but also the other thing is we were getting 30, 30, 35 new patients a month and I haven't done any marketing for 18 years. Wow. So there's no, no external marketing. It was all internal. Just recommendation and referral. Yeah. I have a, so have you heard of, um, Robert Cialdini? Yes. Yes. So I, I read his book, Influence and Persuasion. And then actually I went and trained with his academy, um, and I utilize um, his principles of influence 
to help my patients, A, make their best choices and decisions, mm -hmm. but B, to leave me five-star Google reviews and send their family and friends. So I tap into reciprocity and, you know, there's a, mm. and it's really easy when you understand, because it's just human nature, right? And yeah. NLP is just human nature. So yeah. if, you, if you begin to, all I do with people is I tell them that I'm, I'm only going to teach them something that they kind of already know. They're just not consciously aware of knowing it. Mm. So when I share with somebody how to genuinely build rapport in a heartbeat and they're like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So now you know why you're good at it when you're good at it. And now you understand why you're not when you're not so that you can adapt and change yeah. and build rapport with anybody. Um, and that's the same with anything that I'm sharing is it's not rocket science. It's actually basic human behavior. Mm. When you understand it, you mm. can use it to their advantage and your advantage. Mm. I mean, that's remarkable growth. Just going back a few steps, you said, um, you stopped working on the NHS because it couldn't achieve what you wanted to achieve. You had to be private yeah. because, you know, for the patient journey and the services you wanted to deliver. Um, I don't want to kind of dwell on it, but what is wrong with the NHS? Why is it broken? Oh, God. Um, well, finan it's financial, isn't it? Um, I honestly thought about 10 years ago that I had the solution. Um my brief, so I did my elective in Singapore, right? And whilst I was there chatting to students, finding out, and this is 30 years ago, 30 years ago, dental students in Singapore were finishing university with debts of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. This is 30 years ago. Wow. And they could not believe that I was not paying a penny. Mm -hmm. You know, I was actually paid to go to university, mm. right? We had a grant that, that fed us and and put a roof over our heads and I didn't pay a penny for my education. I mean, how blessed is that, right? Mm. So I thought, do you know what they ought to do? They ought to make it compulsory that when you graduate that you have to work within the NHS. Mm. And I thought we'd design a five-year plan, right, that you could reduce a day a week over those five years so that you're committed within the NHS for the whole of the five years, and you can cut down if you want to, five, four, three, two, one. Or if you chose not to be in the NHS, you had to pay your fees. Mm. And I think that that would have, that, that kind of system, something like that, would mean there's enough dentists working within it. I also think it, it has to be radically changed and it's got to be means tested. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be a core service for dental health but I would be, in my model of the world, it wouldn't include cosmetics. It wouldn't include mm. what any wants-based dentistry. I would be just providing needs-based. But it needs radically changing. Because, yeah. you know, my clients that I see are funding their NHS. There's not mm. many of them that I see that are actually making any profit from the NHS. Mm. They have a, a commitment and a desire to serve and look after their patients and their communities. And their private income is often propping up mm. what it is they're doing. But you can only lean on that good nature everything. for so long, can't you? You, you? you you can only, you know, that only stretches so far before just from a pure yeah. business point of view, it, it's not tenable. It's not. You know, I, yeah, I've got, there's a lot of people in a, in a lot of uh, tricky situations and they're, they're doing the best that they can. Mm. And it's kind of 
needs political will though to change doesn't that's the problem mm. <laughs> everyone's just tinkering <laughs> rather than actually it needs a radical shift making a decision yeah yeah i think yeah. it's coming so many people are exiting you know i'm touring for a practice plan and they have never been busier people are mm. leaving the dentists are leaving the nhs and that's because it is broken mm. i think there's a few that are doing very very well out of it but i think the majority are working harder for less. Mm. Mm. Interesting, very interesting. You, mm. you you said that you then you bought your practice. Um, I must admit, I'm hugely impressed with the the way you've approached your career from the really earliest days of working in lots of different practices to get that exposure, different experiences, um, different parts in, of the world. It's quite cool. Yeah, it just investing in yourself to learn non clinical, which kind of you know, we'll come on to you and what you offer dentists today, but you were kind of applying that yourself mm. really early on and then use that phrase about being an accidental business owner. How was it for you, that transition from being a dentist who rocked up, saw patients, went home to now being a business owner? What was that transition like? I loved it. Um, it was, it was just pure excitement for me. I, I, there was fear in there as well, obviously. But I, I quite like change. I quite mm. like to spice things up a bit. And, you know, I, I, we did, mum and dad helped me in terms of, the, I mean, they, they're, they're broke. My dad was a, um, a social worker. So, but they you helped. How many siblings, Barry? I've got an older brother. Right. Um, and so I was the youngest. Right. And, um, yeah, we did everything. We decorated it ourselves. We did it up. It was an absolute, it was a wreck, really, because it was very old. <laughs> it had a toilet. Underdeveloped and no investment at all. No investment. Toilet in the waiting room, 160 National Geographic magazines. Oh, excellent. <laughs> that, you know, that style. And upstairs was empty, derelict. Um, and so it also had scope for, for growth, which mm. is obviously what I wanted to do. Hmm. It is amazing when you look back, isn't it, at these practices. I can remember once I did some valuation for a, a practice in somewhere up in Liverpool and this bloke said to me, yeah, we got a second surgery. And when he opened the second surgery, it was like, a, it was almost like there was cobwebs and there was this metal delivery system and, and he had those. Do you remember those um, drills where they had that sort of cable-y thing? That, I've seen uh, one in a... In a it's unbelievable. And he, he classed that as his second surgery. <laughs> it was like, really? I don't think you're going to be doing any dentistry in here, are you? But it's just amazing. You know, you, you bought your practice, was it 99, did you say? Yeah, and there's a bloke with a chair that's going to pump it up. Yeah, pump action chair. Yeah, ridiculous. So, yeah. what if you had to distill it down to, to one thing? What was the most fulfilling thing in that from that transition from associate to owner? What was the the one thing that that, that stood out as being the most fulfilling, enjoyable part? I think I would probably encompass that by saying it was a change of identity. Um, oh, okay. And I think again, it, so in human needs psychology, one of the one of the the biggest things that you can do that changes your world is you change your identity. And for example, when I went from uh, not being a father to being a father, mm. you know that mm. that moment that you uh, have such a big shift in your life, mm. yeah. that's an identity shift from you know husband to father. 
Mm. And you start making completely different choices and you start mm. behaving in a completely different way, right? Because you've got different yeah, responsibilities, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different focus of attention. So I went from associate to business owner and I looked 12 years old and I, I genuinely <laughs> I looked, really, I looked <laughs> really young. Well, you only and, look like you're in your 20s now. <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, no, I think you'll think that's because it's a bit blurry. <laughs> so, yeah. And so there was a shift there was a total shift in me, right? Because mm. there was like that identity shift. And I'd, I'd had only just become a father. My, my eldest was one years old when I bought, um, she was in her first year when I bought the practice. So there was a lot of change for me. We moved home. Uh, we had a baby who bought the practice. And so I think it was that, I think it was an identity shift that became business owner and the responsibility of that and the responsibility of being a father Mm. And everything that that bought, and so that was my. Um, it's interesting that comparable between being a father and owning a business in terms of that responsibility for something beyond yourself. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I think I remember a woman that we used to work with years ago um, when she had her first child. She said, "I had no idea how selfish I was before I had a child," and she wasn't at all. But her view was, "My goodness, you know, I've now got somebody that I'm responsible for," yeah. and it changed her outlook on everything. And it's it's similar to you in, in yeah. fatherhood, but also in business ownership, you now have this entity that you're, you're responsible for. Yeah. Um, I did call it my baby. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, it was, um, I nurtured it and loved mm. it. Mm. You very briefly just kind of glossed over the fact that you quadrupled the size of your business and you worked <laughs> three and a half days with a, with a hygienist. And I'm sure there's people that are already still wobbling their head at the thought of doing that. Can you just break down for us? Cause this kind of goes to the, the core of kind of where you're at now as well, in terms of communication and patient journey. Mm -hmm. How did you actually do that? How did you go from having a practice that turned over, I don't know, 300,000 pounds to over a million pounds? What, what were the significant stepping stones? That I'm hoping it's it? bringing it was, Palm Beach to Hazelmere. It was, um, <laughs> It was all down to the patient journey and the way that we, so there's like, if this, I think it's looking at every touch point that's in the patient journey and looking at how you can improve it. And we did, and we have. So we have a different exam process than most people. I call it the co-pilot system. So it's nurse led. So she's, you know, like a co-pilot sits in the, mm. in the cockpit and says engines and the captain goes check engines so my nurse tells me what she wants me to look at and report mm. so that was a big shift because patients are like whoa you've never done this before it was like well i did it's just i did it in my head and i wasn't mm. verbalizing it so the patients all of a sudden had massive value in what we were doing i went through a process of, of upskilling everybody uh, in the practice so the bottom line is I, I do as little as possible of the things that other people are legally allowed to and capable of doing. So in my practice, I don't really talk to patients anymore because I have a TCO that does that. So Chloe would meet and greet and talk to the patient and the patient comes upstairs to Ellie and she'll take 23 photos whilst Chloe's handing over to me. Now there's key things that we're asking and there's it's about personality preferences they're called meta programs people think that it it makes them who they are but it doesn't they're just preferences so we'll find out what their chunk size is what that means is how much information 
mm. would you like to receive when I explain something? Are you big picture, broad strokes? Mm. Or are you dot I's, cross T's? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Because, you know, we were turning patients off who were big picture and we were naturally, we were taught we had to give all the information. And so mm. without understanding how somebody processes, we can bore them to tears mm. and they don't purchase from you. So we'll find out their chunk size. We'll find out what motivates them. That's called direction filter. I future pace them. So I'll ask them a 20 year question. And so they literally write their own treatment plan for me because what I'm asking them to focus on is how do you want things to be in 20 years? Uh, we'll find out what their deep emotional driver is by having three questions and asking why do you want that? Cause nobody wants white teeth, right? Mm. Nobody wants straight teeth. Mm. What they want is either something that they think it will bring them positively by mm. having white teeth or something that it will avoid them negatively. Mm. So why do you want white teeth? Well, you know, because actually I want to feel confident and I'm a speaker and I'm a presenter and I want people to look at me and go, oh, he's got a nice smile. Mm. So they don't want white teeth. What they want is confidence. And when we can find that out easily, A, I feel incredibly motivated to serve them. And B, actually, very often the treatment plan changes because mm. they think they know what they want, but actually it's it could be served in a better way. And oftentimes it's less dentistry. Mm. You know, yeah. I have somebody come in saying, I want veneers, and actually they end up with some short-term ortho, some whitening and bonding. And I feel very proud about the fact that I have helped maintain their long-term health, not destroyed it like we see at the moment with some of the tur turkey teeth. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, so fundamentally what, what, how we did it was our patient journey and mm. our communication skills and our love and our care of our patients and the way that we, we genuinely want to serve them. Mm. And with me not doing everything, so I don't take impressions, scans, don't do x-rays, don't do consent don't do treatment presentation anymore. I mean, I don't do anything. I mean, I, the idea is... Should we stop there? I don't yeah. do anything. <laughs> uh, the idea is that I do... Uh, I should have a turbine in hand mm. for as much of the time as possible. Mm. So I also have two studios um, and I have two nurses and the patient journey went up in quality exponentially because it wasn't solely down to me. It was yeah. actually the whole team. So my care nurses, they call them, and my, I work in studios because I'm an artist. My wife that's, said, that's a simple one, isn't it? Studios exactly. as opposed to surgeries. Mm, it's the language. Well, we changed it? all yeah. the words as well, right? So yeah, yeah, really important. We don't do scale and polishes because that has no value because everybody's experienced that on the NHS. Mm. Um, so what we do, and again, this is how we effectively increased our revenue is because we'll diagnose you, we'll explain to you what we're going to do. So another meta program, convince a rep, we generally need to hear things a number of times in order to know them, want them, buy them, whatever. So mm -hmm. a, a part of our journey is we'll explain what we're going to do. Then the TCO explains what he's going to do. And then when he, you're with me, I'm like, okay, so now what I'm going to do is this. So they get to hear it. And that was particularly about perio. So we do our BPE and they know what the scores scores on the doors are. Mm. And so you are either healthy, which is damn rare, in which case we're going to be providing you with hygiene maintenance. 
you've got gingivitis, in which case we're going to provide you with gingivitis therapy, which is a higher cost to you, the patient, than hygiene maintenance, even though it's the same time. Or you've got more advanced and you've got perio disease, in which case we're going to be providing you with periodontal therapy, which again is a higher fee. So most practices charge an hourly rate mm. for themselves, but also the hygienists. Well, we don't, we do fee per item. So you're going to pay more because you're diseased and we want to get you healthy. And the aim of the game is to get you into hygiene maintenance. And everybody's, even the patients are very clear on what the pathway is. Mm. and what the investment is to do that. So mm. it, it's things like that. It was changing the way we word things. It was giving more value to how we were explaining things. And it was becoming much more productive. And we present three treatment plans to every single patient. Mm. So every patient gets three treatment plans. Um, and I'm proud to say this is my wife's um, design, really, is that we color code them red, amber, green. Red is immediate, then we have preventative, then we have, a, have elective. Right. So um, immediate is anything diseased. So period disease, gums, decay, things like that. Mm. Um, amber is preventative, is, look, it's not diseased, but it's worth thinking about doing it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you all the benefits of that. And then green is elective. So that's not to do with oral health. That would be whitening, straightening, implant, things like that, or facial aesthetics. Mm. And so wow. typically, Dor let's say Doris comes in, she's 60 years old, and she's got a DO amalgam in the five. She's got a, an old MOD in the six and a big MO buckley extended in the seven. That's quite typical, right? And let's say for argument's sake that she's got decay in the six and it's fractured the uh, distolingual cusp is off most in most situations the dentist will be explaining that doris needs to treat that six and i would suggest that most of my clients when they're on the nhs are really explaining that doris can have an amalgam on the nhs or if she wanted to she could upgrade maybe and have a composite privately but we know that if there's, you know, 60% of the tooth missing and there's hairline fractures, the best treatment for that tooth is an indirect restoration, like mm -hmm. a, an inlay, onlay, or a crown. Well, then the six is on the red plan, right? That six needs to be treated because it's unhealthy. And what Doris told me was when she's 80, she wants to have as many of, of her teeth as possible. So I future paced her and I've said, that's cool. You know, in an ideal world, you want to keep that tooth and the best treatment for that is to do an indirect restoration. Then I'll explain that the five and the seven have contact points that are not ideal because when they were packed in with a sequiveland or Toffelmeyer matrix band, it gave us the amalgam contact points at the marginal ridge, not further down. And so the five and the seven do not need to be done. But... By the way, I use the word but on purpose because it negates. Mm. So they do not need to be done, but you could consider doing them at the same time because we can improve the contact points. We know that they need to be done further down the line. And so we explain that the red must be done. The orange is worth thinking about. 
and 68% of our patients go, yeah, it makes sense, let's do all three. Hmm. Now, what that does is it more than doubles the hourly rate, which is eight to 10x in the profit. Hmm. Because for me to prep one tooth is 40 minutes, for me to prep two teeth and a composite is 50 minutes. Because the the time the turbine is on the tooth is negligible. It's all the preamble, the, hmm. the injection, hmm. the, everything else. So by shifting towards quadrant dentistry, I was, I believe I'm serving my patients because it's their choice, not mine, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the options and 68% go, yes, I'd like to do that. 32% know what's around the corner and know that they've, they've made the choice. That it's it's mm. not right for me now. And that's great. I don't care whether they do it or not. I care that they've had the option and the choice. Mm. It's really well with defensive dentistry, doesn't it? That sort of everyone's paranoid about being mm. sued, but if you're having conversations with patients that they know what their options mm. are, then it's really hard for them to say, well, you didn't tell me well, that. It's well, true, it's true yeah, I did tell you. <laughs> it's true yeah. patient choice. I, I love, you know, in distilling down a, a, a very complex system you put in place. You're obviously incredible at delegation. You have a very highly skilled and trained team. And all of that manifests itself into a, an incredible patient journey, yeah. which requires you to have minimal marketing because you have such a, a happy and content patient base, they tell their friends and family. It's a really, really sweet, sweet model. You, yeah. you work with practice owners and associates, don't you? Yeah. Is, is there a, a significant difference between how they communicate, how they engage with their patients, how they view the patient journey? Do they sort of sit in two different camps? No. No. The, you mean the difference between an associate and a, a business yeah. owner? Yeah, in terms of how they think and how they behave. No, um, none of them have been taught. None <laughs> of them, none of them are aware. Um, it's rare for somebody to be aware because, you know, unless so it, it fits into this, right? I I know what I know, and then there's a circle around that where I know what I don't know. So I do not know anything about a car engine. You ask me what engine I've got on the car, I haven't got a clue. It's just bloody fast, and I like to drive it. But then outside of that is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so it comes back to my very first point. It's really hard to F it up. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really hard to F it up in dentistry. You kind of do okay. And because you don't know what you don't know and you're not exposed to it because you spend so much time in your practice and or developing your clinical skills is that you just do the best that you can. And mm. people are, are good at communicating generally speaking, right? They do okay. Mm. It's just that when you start to learn some of these things, it opens up a whole new world of enjoyment and understanding. I Dentistry to me is a game. And I say it to my patients. I use a UFC. That's not a Conor McGregor, right? I have an upfront contract. <laughs> and this is part of my patient journey. And my upfront contract is my job is pure and simple. It's to knock your socks off. <laughs> and And when I do which is a presupposition, not if you're going to. (laughs) So when I do, I'm going to ask you for two things. And they go, right. I go, firstly, I would really be grateful if when I knock your socks off, you go out and tell everybody how good it was and it was a different experience. And secondly, what would really help me is a five-star Google review so that other people, when they come to town and they Google dentist, they see my patient reviews versus somebody else's because that's a way of me attracting 
my type, my, you know, my tribe, um, because I want people that want to be looked after. I want people that want to be cared for, not just in out, get me done. And so I need to attract those people. Uh, and I have my tribe of patients that do that for me. Well, I Brilliant. did. It's radically changed now because I don't own the business. <laughs> yeah, they they have completely dissolved the patient journey as it is, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Why yeah, not? yeah. It doesn't fit their model, which has also massively decreased the turnover. Which yes, is that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get my earn out because they changed Oof. the model. I know, tough one. It's been a it's been a very tough five years, to be honest. Yeah, that's a gitty one, isn't it? As well, really, because you you present a really successful business, and then I mean we get it, don't we? When we people with the tides, and we say, yeah, the problem is though that exactly has happened to you. They can change the parameters, mm. and then you sort of fall foul of it, which is. Mm. It's it is, yeah, it's nasty, isn't it? it? It's, it's also peculiar. It's also peculiar as well because. Part of the reason you buy a business yeah. is because of the success it's had so far, which is effectively the DNA of that business. Yeah. So to then change the DNA of that business, okay, if you think you have a better model, then 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 yeah. sure. But your your success, based on our experience, and we're very fortunate, we get to talk to hundreds of dentists a year, and we visited thousands of practices. Your experience is extraordinary. You know, to take it from you know three hundred to one point one million you three and a half days with a hygienist effectively just by um, obsessing about and finessing a patient journey is remarkable. Mm. So to move away from, from that on the basis, the only reason you do that would be to have greater success yeah. seems peculiar. And, and it doesn't think, fit your model. It's I that. think they, they look for simplicity and uh, I think that it's effectively it's run by accountants and and not clinicians. And yeah, it, yeah. you know, my my whole being is patient centric, mm. and their whole being is bank account centric. Yeah, is is bottom line. But, <laughs> but then have, that doesn't work either. <laughs> Almost. Well, this, it doesn't in mine. <laughs> it didn't in mine. No, but um, and yeah, and I wanted to stay on as well. My five years was up in July, mm. and I requested to stay on for two days a week so that I could still be a clinician and still yeah. build my coaching, but they've declined. So um, they actually do not want me in the business at all. So I've got to go again. I'm going to start a squat. Wow. I know. It's exciting. You, you, yeah. And genuinely, you're, you're excited about that? Yeah, I am. Because Are you going to pull out your business plan from your VT year? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've developed it since then. <laughs> I, know, I know how to run a patient-centric, incredibly successful and financially brilliant business. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm going to start down the road where I, we moved to Petersfield. I'm going to start a practice in Petersfield. Brilliant. And absolutely nail it. Excellent. Good but for you. It. It'll take take some effort. Obviously, it's not easy, is it? Oh yeah, no, definitely. But, um, but the model the model is it works. Yeah, you've shown it, haven't you? You've shown the evidence. Mm. Yeah, and that's what I share with my clients. So my yeah. associates, typically, they double their income. Um, and my, uh, I help my business owners to increase theirs. But typically, wow. the associates do a lot better than they were doing just by changing their. Their way of wow, yeah, it's good. 
It, it's good. Yeah. It's a lovely story, Barry. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's great, and I think just your style is is warming. But it's all based on what you've done, what you've experienced. You know, you, and from the really early days, you know, going right back to the very beginning when you went and sought out people like Kathy Jameson and Larry Rosenthal and, and other people to really take that knowledge mm. on yourself. And it also shows that you know tried and tested methods just don't go out of fashion. You don't need to come up with a a wizard way of doing something. If you're good at communication and you really care for your patients, it will flow through to business. And that's kind of the the underbelly of a lot of what you've been saying. It feels like, I don't know, I've never been on one of your courses, but it feels like what you've done is translated some of like, I mean, we knew Kathy Jameson and, you know, we met Larry Rosenthal and Tony Robbins and that sort of stuff. What what feels like is you've probably turned it and translated it into an English version. (laughs) So we're not (laughs) high-fiving everywhere. I do get them to do a little bit of jumping up and down because... um, Motion creates emotion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I did. Um, so I think I lectured. I did this lecture where I'm explaining how we generate our feelings, and that you know, at the end of the day, it's really quite simple. We're all quite simple, and that is, you ha- you have a thought, and the thought and your body posture ultimately results in how you feel and your emotion. And it's the combination of those three things, whatever you're picturing, thinking, or running through your head, you, whatever you're saying to yourself, how you hold your body and how you're feeling then drives your behaviors and your behaviors that gets your results. But um, the biggest, I had this incredible experience on one of the courses where there's 9,000 people in a room and he says, get into threes with two people you've never met before. So I was with this South African guy and this guy from Norway. And he said, right, number yourselves one to three. So South African guy was one. And he says, I want you to think of a peak emotional state, a peak emotional moment in your life. And I want you to go back and think about that. So this guy sat there and he said, right, increase the thoughts, really go back, see what you saw, hear what you heard, feel what you felt. My job then as number two was to have a look at him and copy him, which I did my best. I sat there and I copied him. And then the job of number three was to tweak me to be more like him. And to cut a long story short, um, after about 10 minutes of him tweaking and changing me, changing my breathing and my tonality, make this one stronger, he said, uh, whispered to his ear, where are you? What's going on? What's this memory? And then came to me, said, where are you? What's going on? And I went, holy crap, I'm, I'm so emotional. I'm sat in a hospital waiting room. I'm holding something heavy and shit's going down. I don't know. I, I feel really emotional. Anyway, music comes on, jump up and down. I turned to the South African and said, so where were you? What was going on? He said, well, I was sat in a hospital waiting room holding my f- newborn child whilst they operated on my wife to save her life. And I just burst into tears and went, I, I, how the hell? Wow. A, I felt the feelings, but how the wow. hell did I know I was sat in the hospital waiting room? This, this was the moment I went, I need to learn this shit. This is incredible. Because I was not the only one, right? 9,000 people in the room, mm. 20% of them had had the experience that their partner had had. Yeah. And what, it, what it taught me, I then went and learned NLP, and what it taught me is our physiology, our body postures, and our breathing drive much more the thoughts in our head 
than the other way around. Right. Mm. And so yeah. then when I'm lecturing, we'll play the happy and sad game and I'll put pictures up and go happy or sad. And people are like this. And obviously they go sad and people are like this and they go happy. And then mm. I show a picture of a dentist and they go sad. Oh, it's a dentist. And I go, yeah. We ask <laughs> to sit in a physiological position of sadness and depression for eight hours a day. Mm. We then have people coming in going, I hate dentists. Not you, obviously, but I hate dentists. Yeah. We then have a fear of hurting people. We have a fear of being sued. And then we wonder why one in five of us seriously thinks about suicide every year. Mm. And I believe that by helping people to recognize that by moving your body, standing up, Amy Cuddy uh, did a brilliant video in 2012, Harvard professor, and she, she showed and proved that you change your endorphins and your cortisol by standing up and putting your arms in the air, doing a power pose. So I want every dentist in between every patient, just stand the heck up. Because mm. when you do and you stretch, you're decreasing your cortisol and increasing your endorphins. Mm. So yeah. there's, there's loads of things that we could get out there to help dentists mm. because there's a lot of stress in there. And actually we can tweak it by, simple simple things affirmations being kind mm -hmm. to ourselves changing our body moving around just that simple thing stretching you're right you know it's it's such a simple thing but if you could just build it into your i don't know an hourly routine of having a stretch you know sales calls in the bank wasn't it you have yeah. to stand up you know if you can do a sales call in the bank stand up and that's that's your that's exactly what it was. And it's quite interesting. Though. I never explained the way you explained it, but yeah, <laughs> that was that was what it was, right? Everyone stand well, up. Well, this speak, so this is it, right? This is where making people consciously aware of what they subconsciously knew. Because as a child, my mum would say, "Come on, pop it, head up, shoulders back." Mm. Where did that come from? We've mm. I mean, we've known this for years, right? Mm. But now consciously knowing, and now knowing that they've done. Um, They've done studies in the fact that our cortisol comes down when we're in a power pose and our endorphin goes up. We're changing our biochemistry when we sit yeah. as a dentist or a dental nurse or a receptionist mm. when we're in this kind of hunched over position. So young dentist, if you're listening, get some bloody loops on. Yeah. Or better still, use a microscope because that corrects posture mm. and that will change how you feel. Mm. That's a fascinating one, isn't it, really? So I was just thinking about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, that I'd never really thought about it, but you're right. You're spending your, your whole time bent over. <laughs> I bet yeah. that's a real wake-up moment when people do the happy, sad, happy, sad, see a picture of a dentist and go, sir. Oh, yeah. my goodness. It is. They're, they're like, oh. Yeah. Wow. Then I go, right, go and see Connor Bryant. Yes. <laughs> Get yourself a decent <laughs> pair. Not nice set of loops. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and this Brilliant. episode was sponsored by yeah. Brian Gentle. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. That's uh that is one stellar company. It is. It is. He's a good he's a good man and yeah. he's got great products. So yeah, I say, I good highly products, recommend. good culture, great team. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it's such a great place to go and visit. Mm. Yeah, I've not been down. I, I saw him and he, he he was telling me about some of the things he was doing in his office. Um yeah. and I do need to get down because it, it does sound like a really funky exciting invigorating place to be yeah i want to i want to go in there and and train his team i'm mm. in fact i will i will be going in at some point mm. um 
yeah, he's a he's a very shrewd shrewd yeah. business. Barry, it's, it's wonderful. We could we could talk all day. Uh, yeah, but such is life. Is we need to let you go and um, get some artwork on the wall yeah, and finish your, your business yeah. plan for your squat. <laughs> what you need up. to do. <laughs> Let's get a go in the new practice. Yeah, excellent. We we always finish um, with our guests in the same way, and we ask two questions. And the first question we have for you: If you could be a fly on the wall in a certain situation, when would that be, and who would be there? Yeah, this is I. This might be a weird answer. <laughs> Weirder the better, honestly. <laughs> but I think I think when when I do, people will go, "Oh, yeah, actually, yeah." I would really like to know how they flipping well built the pyramids. Yes. Ah, yeah, okay. Hey, see what you just said? Yes. You just both went, oh, yeah. I would, yeah, I, they just they just do not know, do they? No. And um, Loads of yeah. theories and stuff. It's aliens, mate. So they, it's, are, that's, that's, they are. Bring any aliens. They're sort of, seriously big lumps of rock to move. Yeah. Yeah, and precisely done as mm. well. So, yeah, I'd quite, I'd like to know that. That'd be cool. Well, yeah. let, let's hope we get the answer to that someday. Yeah. That'd be nice. One day. One day. <laughs> and, then, and then our follow-up is if you could meet somebody, you can sit down in a comfy chair with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. Living or dead? Yeah. Who would you like to meet? I, so I've already met the one that I would, which was Tony Robbins. I've already met him. Um, I'd, I would love to meet Jordan Peterson. Ah, mm. yeah, yeah. I find him... Quite a controversial character. Yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> He's 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 very articulate, and I think he's very interesting. Uh, his daughter is has a phenomenal story as well, getting over uh, really bad autoimmune diseases, and just fascinating. Um, and equally, I'd like to meet Ricky Gervais. <laughs> that would be a good couple of hours, wouldn't it? That would be so good. A few dinner guests like that. Yeah. yeah. Imagine at your I'd table. To, I'd love to have those two have an interesting debate. <laughs> they would, yeah. Because they're very, they're very good at, both of them are very good at that. Yeah. Barry, thank you for your time. An absolute Thanks joy. Thanks for having me, it's been a, it's, Honestly, it's been a, it's been really it's, good. It's, thank it's you. been a wonderful conversation. Um, and like I say, g- genuinely, I, I, I'd love to come down and see your practice when you get opened. I'll look forward to seeing that picture on the wall. Um, and I wish yeah. you success because the stuff you're doing, it, it really does change lives. You know, it puts people on a pathway of, of having a, a happier and a better career as a result of the things mm. that you can show them. It is. It's it's. Me to me, dentistry is a game, and it's a game of knocking people's socks off and helping them to improve their life. And it's a fun one. I I love my dentistry, mm-hmm. and I love sharing what we've created with other dentists, so that then they can create their version of it and improve their lives and other patients' lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very symbiotic. I love, it's a good it's a good thing to be doing. Absolutely. No, brilliant. Absolutely. Lovely, Barry. Thanks, thanks Appreciate time. your time today. Look after yourself. Keep well. Thank you. Cheers. Da-da. Cheers thank up. you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. <laughs>